You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Well, in the 1983 movie, Robert Duvall played a washed-up country music singer-songwriter named Max Sledge in the Academy Award-winning movie, Tender Mercies. Anybody in here ever seen the movie Tender Mercies? Several of you. It's fantastic, isn't it? Um, And there is a scene in the movie where Max Sledge, who has been pulling together a string of dead-end jobs and battling the bottle, him and his stepson, Sonny, decided to make their way to the local church to be baptized. And there's a scene, I'm going to put it on the screen for you, and I actually had to uh, record this with my phone, so I'm not sure how good the quality is going to be. We'll find out. But there's a scene where they're talking about the events that just took place, and I want you to hear their conversation. Well, we got it, Mac. We're baptized. Yeah, we are. Everybody said I was going to feel like a changed person. I guess I do feel a little different, but I don't feel a whole lot different. Do you? Don't you? You don't look any different. <laughs> you think I look any different? Not yet. Not yet. I show that video because I cannot help but wonder in a room this size how many people can resonate with Sonny and Max Sledge. Maybe like these two, you have yourself been baptized. Maybe you've been attending a Sunday gathering like this faithfully. Maybe you read your Bible and you pray and you try to practice all the spiritual disciplines. Maybe you're doing the best you can to really change. Yet, if you can be honest, if you look over your life over the last several years, you feel like you've grown maybe an inch at best when it comes to your spiritual development. And as a result, maybe there are some of you here today and you find yourself wrestling with the same sins over and over again. You're racked with anxiety still and struggling with depression or for others maybe, right, despite the fact that, that, that you have continued to do whatever you can to grow. You can't help but wonder, man, like, like, like what is missing in my discipleship to Jesus? And therefore, uh, you, you know, you look at verses like John seven thirty eight. And you see the promises where Jesus says things like this. Whoever believes in me out of his heart flows rivers of living water. Or you hear the promises from Scripture and uh, from Jesus in Matthew 11, 28, who says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some of you, you've read these verses. You've memorized these verses. And yet, still, when you look at your life, rather than seeing a river of living water flowing from you, you see maybe a trickle at best. Or rather than experiencing the rest that Jesus promised you, it's right here. You find yourself incredibly anxious and tired and burnt out. And therefore, maybe some of you right now, you're just sitting here and you're questioning the work of God in your life. Are you really there? Like, are you really, like, at work in me? Like, are your promises that I see in the scripture true for my life? I think of the blind man in Mark chapter 8 who goes to Jesus for healing. He heard that Jesus could heal, and so he goes to him for healing. However, after Jesus touches his eyes, rather than having his sight completely restored, he said, and I quote, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Now, you know if you keep reading Mark 8, eventually this man is healed, but there's a point in his life where though he's no longer blind, 
Though he can now see something, he still can't see clearly, right? He's stuck. He's in between. He's not where he once was, but he's certainly not where he wants to be, at least, right, not yet. I was reading earlier this week about John Newton, a pastor from England, who in the 18th century wrote probably the most famous hymn of all time, the hymn Amazing Grace. And I was reading, excuse me, about his conversion in a book, and it said this. As a young man, he, talking about John Newton, was a sailor. And even among his rough bunch had earned a reputation in one captain's words as the most profane man he had ever met. After deserting the Royal Navy, Newton gave into the slave trade, or got into the slave trade. During a violent storm at sea in 1748, Newton cried out to God and not for the first time found religion. But this time, something real had happened in his heart, and Newton's life began to change. He stopped drinking and gambling, and he began to pray and read the Bible. Yet, look at this next line. Yet, he continued in the slave trade for several more years. Now, when we sing Newton's song, Amazing Grace, it does sound like that God's amazing grace in our hearts is always deep and immediate. I think of those lyrics, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. However, what we discover is even in Newton's own life, there is sometimes a long journey between now I see and seeing clearly. In fact, it wasn't until 1788, 40 years after God's grace found a wretch like Newton, that he would go on to write the following, I hope that it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me, that I was once an active instrument in a business, he's talking about slave trade, in a business which my heart now shudders. 40 years later. point I'm trying to make is this. Whether it's John Newton in the slave trade or Max Sledge in Tender Mercies or the blind man in Mark 8, humans from all walks of life, all throughout history, have had to face the tension of living in a gap. Of living in that place, if I'm not where I used to be, but man, I am so far from where I want to be. Between those promises of a new life we read in Scripture, and then actually experiencing those promises for ourselves. And this is actually where we find the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. If you look back with me in Philippians chapter 3, Paul has just spent time, just to give you some context, he has just spent time talking about the resurrection of the dead, right? He has just spent time dreaming over the horizon of a day where Jesus Christ is going to break in over the earth and we are going to step into a new world and have new bodies where there is no sin and there is no cancer and there are no seizures and there's no dysfunction, there's no brokenness, right? Everything will be as it should be. Paul, he's looking at that moment, he's, he's setting our eyes on that day, but then notice in verse 12, He says here, not that I have already obtained this. Translation, Paul says, I'm not there, at least not yet. To clarify, yes, resurrection of the dead. That day is coming. Hope is over the horizon. Our future as Christians is incredibly bright. But to clarify, Paul says, to make sure we're on the same page, I'm not there yet. I've not, he says, obtained this life fully. The word for obtain there in the Greek, it's the Greek word labano, which is this vivid and graphic word that means to grasp after in order to try to get a hold of, to chase after in order to catch. It is a a phrase that was a hunting term. Think about a, a hunter who chases after the prey in order to catch it. It can also be translated as to apprehend. Think of a police officer who's running after a criminal in order to apprehend him. I was with our missional community a few months ago, 
And we were helping an Ethiopian family move from one house to another. And uh, for those that were there, you'll remember this. We head over to their house, and all of a sudden, right when we're about to pull up, these police cars go flying by us. They park, uh, like in the, in the middle of the road, they jump out of their cars and begin to chase after a criminal. Right? One of them even jumped over a fence, like trying to apprehend this man. Listen, that's the picture that Paul is painting for us here. He's saying, my life, right? I, I am like an officer chasing after a criminal in order to apprehend him. I'm like a hunter chasing after the prey, trying to catch her. He's like, that's the kind of intentionality that I am living with. However, look, he says, the life that I'm longing for, it's not in my hands yet. He says, I haven't grasped it yet. And then he goes on and he says, not that I have already obtained this. And, I love this next line, not that I am already perfect. In other words, like I haven't made it to my end goal yet. I'm still a work in progress. I'm in transit. I'm in between. I'm living, Paul says, in the gap. I have not arrived. And look what he says next. Verse 12, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Though you can't see it in the English, Paul here uses the exact same Greek word three times in just one verse. He starts and he says, not that I have already labano or obtained this, but I press on to katalabano, to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has katalabano made me his own. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, look, again, I have not grasped this life. I have not fully arrived. It's not in my hands yet. But Paul says, I keep chasing. I keep grasping. I'm like a hunter after the prey. I'm like a police officer after the criminal. I'm on the move. I'm chasing after this life that Jesus has for me. And why does Paul do this? What is his motivation to run hard after Jesus? Well, he says it right here. He says, the reason that I chase after Jesus is because he first chased after me. The reason that I grasp after Jesus is because he has already grasped me. He has, by his grace, arrested my life. And Paul says, man, that's my motivation for going after Christ. That's that's the gospel, by the way. Paul says in here, I'm running after Jesus. Why? To earn his love? No, because I already am loved. He says, I'm going hard after Christ towards this life that he has for me. Why? To earn God's blessings? No, because I've already, Paul says in Ephesians 1, received every single one of those blessings. Paul says, the reason I pursued Jesus is because he first pursued me. He left, guys, this is the gospel, a perfect place in heaven, and he became a needy, vulnerable baby. And not only was he a baby, he was the true prophet, priest, and king And he would grow up and he would live a perfect sinless life that we couldn't live. And then he would go to a cross where God in the flesh would die and bleed for you and me so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be brought into a relationship with the God who alone can save us and satisfy us. Paul says, man, because I believe this, because I believe with all of my heart that God pursued me, I now pursue him. And then he continues with this idea in verse 13. And he says, brothers... Or brothers and sisters, right? This is kind of a weird place where it's almost like right in the middle of this paragraph. He he grabs the audience by the ears and says, pay attention. Like, listen to what I'm about to say. Dude, wake up. He says, again, I do not consider that I've already made this my own. So he's pumped. He's excited. He's like, I'm still not there yet. And then look what he says next. Because this is the key to living in the tension between where we are and where we want to be. This is the key between living in the tension between the promises that God has made to us and experiencing these promises. Verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. 
I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God that is in Christ Jesus. Paul says, when it comes to my discipleship to Christ, I am like a runner in the Olympic Games. Right? Paul says, I've never seen a runner with a backpack on. He says, so I'm not going to run that way, right? He says, I- I'm not going to, to live with this baggage from my past. I'm not going to worry about what happened 20 years ago or even 20 minutes ago. I am going to look forward. I'm not going to be defined by what other people said about me. I'm going to be defined by what God says about me. I'm not going to live in toxic shame or guilt or fear. He says, I'm going to strain forward. I'm going to continue to press forward. I'm going to close the gap on where I am and where God wants me to be. And I love this because notice for Paul, right, just how ruthlessly honest he can be about his own brokenness, which, by the way, that's a sign of maturity. He says, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, I'm not there yet. But notice he still has this unwavering hope and optimism and energy about the Christian life. And what's so incredible to me is, where is the Apostle Paul writing from when he's writing this letter? Does anybody remember from our... From, yeah, he's from prison. He's right in from prison. Literally, Paul <clears throat> signs up to follow Jesus and as a result, loses everything. He loses his friends. He loses his career. He's now facing death because he won't quit talking about Jesus. And yet, here he is in prison. And rather than getting discouraged or throwing in the towel or saying, apparently God has left me or I'm just stuck here in the gap, he says, I'm going to keep pressing forward. I'm going to keep moving closer. I keep, I'm going to keep trying to close the gap between where I am and where I know God has me to be. And how in the world does Paul do this? How is this possible for him? How can he have such confidence And the answer is actually found in verse 14. Hidden in plain view all along, tucked away, is this throwaway phrase at the end of verse 14. I want you to read it. Here's the answer to how to live well in the gap. Paul says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God that is in Christ Jesus. That phrase, in Christ Jesus is what scholars are referring to in this doctrine they're calling union with Christ. It is a phrase that is by far Paul's most favorite phrase in all of the Bible. In fact, this phrase, in Christ Jesus, is used by Paul 217 times in his little short letters in the New Testament. It is a phrase that is so small and insignificant, most of us have just swept right over it, and yet it bears an incredible amount of weight on all of our lives. And I would say, again, if you don't understand this, you don't get it, you will never understand who you really are, why you're here, and where you're going, and how to get there. And if you think that's just like preacher talk, like I'm just trying to get you all fired up this morning, listen to what some other scholars and theologians have said throughout history. Karl Barth, for example, who is the 20th century's greatest theologian, says, union with Christ, which again, this is his phrase, in Christ Jesus, union with Christ is the principle controlling all of Christian existence. John Owen, who's considered the greatest English theologian of all time, says union with Christ is the greatest and most honorable and glorious of all the graces that we are made partakers of. Jonathan Edwards, considered the greatest American theologian of all time. There are, look at this, there are no benefits of the gospel apart from union with Christ. John Calvin, who some would say is the greatest theologian of all time, says union with Christ is the highest degree of importance in the Christian life. I could read more, but here's just the point. This really matters, guys. This matters. In the words of Rankin Wilburn, union with Christ is the central message of the Christian faith 
even if you've never heard about it. So the question is this morning, what exactly is it? What is union with Christ? And we would just define it like this for you in real simple terms. Union with Christ is the fact that you are in Jesus and Jesus is in you. Now, if that's mysterious and still a little ambiguous, don't worry. Next week, I'm going to spend an entire teaching just unpacking that definition. Next week, not this week. But that's union with Christ. You are in Jesus, and Jesus is in you. Or in the words of Jesus himself, listen to this, in John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him. You see that? You're in me, I'm in you. He it is that bears much fruit. And by the way, when he's talking about fruit there, he's talking about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Who doesn't want that? He who abides in me bears much fruit. But look at this, guys. But apart from me, apart from understanding and grasping union with Christ, you can do nothing. Nothing. It's remarkable, remarkable to me how many images in the Bible are from the world of agriculture. And I don't think this is just because it was an agrarian society. I just believe that as a gardener myself, that gardening fits so well in the spiritual life. For example, both are organic and living. Both require care and attention. Both are slow. You have to wait for growth, right? Growth is slow. You have to wait, you have to weed, you have to be dependent on forces outside of yourself, right? No one has ever been able to figure out how to 3D print an edible apple. You need water and seed and healthy soil. There are things that can threaten the health and vitality of your life. And above all, listen, in order to thrive and live, we as the branches, as Jesus said, has to remain connected to the vine. And I love this imagery. I actually brought these from my house um, Okay, yeah, so this is from my garden. Yeah, there's a picture I actually took this morning, okay? Um, This was once a part of a healthy razorback pea plant, and that's not a jab to you razorback fans. I apologize to bring that up this morning. Um, They're delicious peas. They really are called the razorback razorback peas, okay? Um, Now, as you can see, it's withering, it's drying. I mean, I haven't pulled this, I pulled this off, I think, a couple days ago. I mean, look at the leaves, how pitiful it is. This is actually from my uh, tomato plant. Can you all see that little green tomato on there, right? It was growing, it was doing well, but it's not going to grow anymore. I mean, it's done, right? This this is rotting, it's decaying. There's no life in this. Like, there's nothing appealing about this, is there? Nobody looks at this like, ooh, that's amazing. I'm, I'm so hungry, I want that, right? And listen, I just want you to know, as you look at this, like, listen... As pastors, the reason that we are going to be so serious, the reason we're going to spend more time than ever before on this series, Union with Christ, is because we honestly want your life to be the opposite of this. Like Jesus himself said that whenever you get cut off from me, that's your life. It doesn't matter what your personality type is. It doesn't matter what your education level is. It doesn't matter how smooth you are. It doesn't matter how much Bible you read. It doesn't matter how many times you show up here week in and week out. It doesn't matter what you do. If you are not in him and he is not in you, that is your life. Jesus' desire for you is for you to bear much fruit. And as pastors, that is our desire for your lives as well. And so we are going to spend a lot of time over the next 11, 12 weeks talking about what it means to be in Christ and him and you and the implications of that. But here's the thing. 
there's something you need to know before we go any further in this series. And that is this. If you truly want to experience the newness of life Jesus has come to give you, and I'm talking about, you can keep coming here if you want and take notes and just like receive this as just like factual information and you won't change a bit. If you truly, though, actually want to change, if you want to experience this newness of life Jesus has promised, if you want to see rivers of living water flow from your heart, if you want a deep and abiding rest in the midst of an incredibly anxious society, if you want to know who you really are and where you're going and how to get there, there's one thing that you need to know, that you have to have. Are you ready for it? Here it is. You need to know that your first step towards transformation is to redeem your imagination. Your first step towards transformation will be the fact that you're going to have to redeem your imagination. And when you think of imagination, listen, I know that word gets a bad rap. Don't think of just fiction and fairy tale. You know, a lot of times we'll say things to our kids like, oh, it's just your what? Imagination. Because we think of imagination as, oh, it's it's fictional. Don't think of, of imagination as fiction or fairy tale, but rather, here's the way we would define imagination. Imagination is simply the human capacity to imagine everything and anything that is not immediately visible to our eyes. For example, if I were to ask you right now, what does your mom look like? Unless your mom is sitting right beside you, you have to use your imagination, right? You don't have to, Brandy. Um, Or if I were to ask you this, what do you want to eat for lunch? Or where did you park your car? You have to use your imagination in order to figure that out. So even if you're not an artist, we all use imagination because we're created in the image of a God who has a wild imagination. We all have an imagination. It plays an important part of our life. It even plays an important part of things like science and mathematics where you think that it's just all logic and reason. For example, Isaac Newton, right? He saw the apple fall from the tree like many others had before him, but because he used his imagination, he was able to discover the fact of gravity. And so when you think, excuse me, of imagination, here's what I want you to realize. Don't think of the ability to see what is unreal, but think of it as the ability to see what is unseen. Think of imagination as the ability to see what is unseen. And this is something we see God calling us to do all throughout the Bible. For example, in Colossians 3, 2, Paul says, set your mind on things that are above rather than things that are on the earth. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8, Paul literally says this, fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Now, there's a lot of other verses I could use to talk about this, but here's just the point. If you're going to grow, guys, you've got to hear this. If you're going to grow, if you're really going to experience the newness of life, or the fullness of what it means to be in Christ and Him in you, you're going to have to let your imagination be captivated and reshaped by a whole new story. According to the Bible, this is an essential part of your discipleship to Jesus. If you want to experience truly a healthy, flourishing, life-giving relationship to a God whom you have never seen, you're going to have to use your imagination. And that is why I would agree with the scholar Walter Brueggemann who said this. The key pathology of our time. That's quite a way to start a sentence, isn't it? The key pathology of our time, which seduces us all, is the reduction of the imagination so that we are too numbed, satiated, and co-opted to do serious imaginative work. Maybe this is what Jesus is getting at when he says the kingdom of God belongs to the children. 
They have an imagination that is yet to be corrupted and stomped on by the world. We need to, church, do a serious imaginative work. And to help us get there, there are three things that we're actually going to ask you to do over the next 11 to 12 weeks. And I'm going to share this with you and we'll be done. First thing I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you at least once, maybe twice a day, to do what we're calling an imagination audit. An imagination audit, which is just a fancy way of saying, if you want to grow, guys, listen to me. I'm going to get real practical here. If you want to truly grow in Christ's likeness, if you want to close the gap, you need to be able to identify and confess to God ways that you're imagining God, others, and yourself in a way that does not line up with the Scriptures. And if you want help in knowing how to do this, there's five questions that you can ask. And this is actually going to be on your app. It's under our resources page under Imagination Audit. So you don't have to write this down real fast. Just go to your app or you can take a picture of the screen. But here's five questions you can ask to figure out what it is that you're imagining and if that lines up with the truth of Scripture. First question, what memories or mental pictures have been particularly vivid in my life and how have they been impacting me? How have they been making me feel? Second question, Which of those mental pictures have been encouraging and life-giving? Which of those have been destructive and life-sucking? Third, how do these mental pictures stack up against God's Word? And be specific here, literally, right? As you're thinking, like if you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, nobody loves me, or I'm a terrible person, or there's no way anybody could forgive me of that. Like, what does the Bible, what's, what's the image the Bible paints for you? Fourth, is there an imagination feed? In other words, where have these images come from? Have they come from a past relationship? Have they come from a word that was spoken over you? Have they come from a tragedy or some sort of broken? Like what's feeding these images in your mind that for some of you is paralyzing your growth? And then lastly, what is Jesus trying to call me to in regards to that imagination feed? So that's an imagination audit. Secondly, what we would encourage you to do is if you want to do serious imaginative work for the purpose of growing in your union with Christ... You've got to learn to replace old, destructive images with new, healthy, life-giving images. Dallas Willard, who we quote often here, says this. The process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing destructive images and ideas with the images and ideas that are filled with the mind of Jesus himself. Spiritual formation, he says, therefore, in Christ, moves towards a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. In other words, guys, listen, you have got to stop letting this be the primary thing that's putting images in your mind, or Netflix, or talk radio, or fantasy novels, or whatever your thing may be. That's why we encourage you every single day, wake up every day, start your day with this. Don't do it at the end of the day, start your day with this, and spend, please, at least five to ten minutes just reading and meditating on the scripture. Today, I was actually in my Voice of the Heart workbook. I know some of you have this and are going through it in your fight clubs. And literally, the question today, there were two questions. It was about Jesus going to Lazarus' tomb and weeping there. And the first question was, what do you imagine Jesus looked like? It was literally the language that, that was used. What, did you, what do you imagine Jesus looked like when he was crying at the tomb? What, it is, what was his breathing like? What do you think his face looked like? What was his posture like? And then the next question was, how is this image different than the way you've imagined Jesus in the past? That's the way you should read the Bible. You don't just read it to be like, fact, 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 okay, whatever. You literally put yourself there and you imagine God as he really is. 
So replace old images with new. And then third, what we would encourage you to do is this. We would encourage, if you want to do a serious imaginative work, to actually view art. And more specifically, to view the art that we have hanging. I don't know if you've seen it, in our foyer and in our kids' hallway. Um, Because our imagination is essential to our spiritual formation... As pastors, we've been working on this for a while, but what we've finally been able to do is commission artists in our own church family who have artistic gifts, and we're able now to give them the resources, the funding, the space, all the materials that they need in order to create beautiful art that will help inspire our imagination to see God as he really is, and therefore us as we really are in Christ. And so here's what's going to happen. You're going to see this. You're going to see art in the foyer. You're going to see in, in the kids' area. Three to four times a year, we are going to pick a sermon series, and we're going to commission artists. And if you are an artist, you can be a part of this. Come and talk with with Adam. He'll tell you how to get involved in it. And we're literally going to share with artists beforehand, hey, this is what our sermon series is going to be about. And then they're going to make art that they're inspired by in light of what we're going to be teaching on for the purpose of inspiring us. And so this time around, uh, Brent Richardson has made a beautiful painting, Emily Smith, uh, Catherine Ritchie, a uh, photographer here, she took a great picture that all co- corresponds with union with Christ. And then our kids' ministry, we did the same thing. If you've not looked at it, go into our kids' hallway. You'll see it lined with art from our children. And basically what we did was to our kids, and we were like, hey, when you think of union with Christ, which we said basically when you think of Jesus being with you or a time that you want Jesus to be with you, what comes to mind? And it's really cool. Like I think like your daughter like, had like a picture of her in bed, and there were like ghosts around her. Or whatever. I don't know why you told her ghost exists, Luke. But anyways, <laughs> but she was like, uh, yeah, she's like, that's when I want Jesus with me, when I'm afraid at dark. Isn't that beautiful? It's like, that's what I want. When I'm afraid, I still need Jesus with me, right? So go and look at those. And if you're anything like me, right, we're blue-collar Paragold, Arkansas, right? Like most of us are not going to a museum throughout the week and being like, oh, this piece is, you know, really striking, you know, whatever. Like, so if you need help like me, what we also did is on our resource page, there's four to five questions that you can ask as you're looking at the art. Just go to the resource page, and what's it called? How to view art? How to look at visual art. And there's four to five questions. We would encourage you to take time, look at the art, and just ask the questions. Guys, again, I'm telling you, if it, if it feels silly to you to do that, you need it the most. Because I'm telling you, there are metaphors all through this Bible. Things like, you're the branches and I'm the vine. If you can't use your imagination, you'll never experience the fullness of this. So we're going to try to do serious imaginative work. Whether it's the imagination audit, replacing images, or viewing art, all of that is for the purpose of renewing our minds and renewing our imagination so that we can experience the fullness of the life that we have now been grafted into. Again, Jesus says in John 15, Apart from me, you can do nothing. But when you are united to me, you will bear much fruit. This is an open invitation to you this morning. Who does not want to bear that fruit? Who doesn't want that power in their life? Who does not want to close the gap between where you are and where you know? Who does not want to stop coming here on Sunday mornings and saying, boy, that must be nice of Jared's life, or that must be nice of Randy's life? Who who does not want to experience this personally for yourself? It happens through us opening our minds and imaginations to who God really is and what he's done for us in Christ. And one of the ways, church, that we do that every single week is by partaking of communion. You ever thought about this? Communion really requires your imagination. Because literally, it's a time where you come forward and you tear off a piece of bread and you say, 
this represents the body of Christ. And you dip it in the juice and you say, this represents the blood of Christ that was shed for me. Jesus himself literally said, every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. In other words, imagine what I have done for you. And so I would encourage you today, if you've trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, as you come, open up your imagination. Ask God, literally, maybe just practically, as you come forward, say, help me to receive this as a child. Help me to truly imagine as I partake of this all over again that you really are who you say you are and you've done everything you've said you've done in Christ. We have two stations in the front. We have two in the back. If you're here today, though, and you have not trusted fully in Jesus, listen, if you have not opened up your imagination to him, there is something that has captured your imagination. And I would encourage you today just to to take a few moments to reflect on that and say, what is it that has captured my imagination? What is that imagination feed that is shaping my life? And I would encourage you today in faith to allow Jesus to capture your imagination. To truly believe, though you don't have all the, the answers to all the questions, to believe he is who he says he is and he's done everything that he says that he's done. And if you want more information about how to do that and what your next steps would be, I would love to talk to you. I'll be in the front. Adam will be. Luke is up here. and We'd love to help you with your next steps. And a lot of that, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning as the band comes forward. I'm going to pray for us, and then we can take, partake of communion, and we'll sing another song together in celebration. But before we shuffle around too much, I want to encourage you to stop right now and ask yourself honestly, like, what is capturing your imagination? Would you do that? Just, just take 15 seconds. Right now, what are you thinking about? What has captured your imagination in this exact moment? Does it have to do with what people think about you? What you think they think about you? Does it have to do with something you're incredibly anxious over that's in the future that hasn't even happened yet, but you're afraid it's going to happen? Does it have to do with some sort of word or event from your past that is still shaping who you are right now or who you think you are? Whatever that is, I'd encourage you right now, just give that to Jesus. And in your heart, just say to him, Jesus, redeem my imagination. Help me to see you as you really are. Help me to not be driven primarily by my feelings, but by faith that you are who you say you are. Father, we thank you so much. That is true. That even though you are unseen, you are the realest thing in this room right now. There is no reality apart from you. We do not exist apart from you. Because of the world we live in, we confess our cynicism today, our doubts, our fears, our small imaginations. You are able to do, you say, far more than we could ever even think or imagine. So, Father, I pray that you will open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up our imaginations right now to taste and see that you really are good. And I pray for someone here who maybe is not in you and you are not in them, that that would change this morning. And they would be brave and that they would step out. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.